From tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks Podcast, Episode 4, for June 30th, 2016. Thank you for tuning in. The Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, collegiate senior in atmospheric science Brady Harris, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network radio operator Mark Johnson. Today, the Freaks welcome guests Ian Enterline, professional firefighter and Skywarn area manager in Richmond, Virginia, and Todd Krause, warning coordination meteorologist at the National Weather Service, Twin Cities, Minnesota office. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, amateur storm spotter Phil Johnson. All right, welcome to Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Uh, we are in Colossal, uh, Colossal episode number four. Uh, we're moving here, but uh, we definitely, we, we appreciate you listening. Um, and I say we, I think everybody does, right? It's not just me. Uh, I sure do. Oh, yeah, heavens, I, yes. good. Mostly just, my I, mom and my grandma loves it. So, I, you know. I, I've been that, listening yeah. for years. She's one of, she's one of the five people that, that listen to us, but um, no, yes. we, we definitely, uh, we definitely appreciate all you guys listening. Um, I will say this. Don't forget to the show by that is if you're listening to us on iTunes or Google play or Stitcher or tune in um, each of those has an option to subscribe to the show. And I, I just, yeah, see, no, see, that's the fear. Now you're screwing it for everybody, man. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh it's, my God. It's free, and I don't want anybody to freak out that if you subscribe, well, something's happening. All that means is here. What this here's what it means for me, okay? Because there are a number of podcasts that I enjoy listening to, and the ones that I like, and I use, so I'm on iTunes on my iPhone. The ones that I like, I subscribe to, and all that means is whenever that podcast releases another show it automatically shows up on my phone uh, or device. And so that I know oh, there's a new show out. I got something to listen to. So I don't have to worry about knowing, oh, is there a new show out yet? Finding out if they've released one yet. Uh, it just makes sure that when we issue a new one, it's automatically going to show up for you. So you know when you can start listening to something. It's also important to subscribe. Um, because it's also going to make sure you don't miss any bonus content outside of the normal bi-weekly show that we do. And why that's important, as you may or may not know, we actually, uh, last week, we just released uh, our first kind of bonus content or special show. Uh, uh, got on with the uh, Weather Junkies. Uh, you guys might know Dakota and Tyler of the we Weather Junkies. We got on and we just had a really a casual conversation talking about weather podcasts, how we got started, what the passion was, what works, what doesn't work. It was really fun. But if you didn't subscribe to our show, you might not know that we had an extra show in between our normal biweekly uh, Stormfront Freak episode. So that's just why it's important to subscribe. Make sure you do that. All right. This episode, um, I'll tell you what, we got two guests again. Again, we're that's it's colossal. Well, this is two two shows in a row that we now have two guests. I think we're getting big. Um, it's historic, historic. Exactly. So we're going to be talking about the Skywarn Radio and Spotter Network. Uh, we've got Ian Enterline. He's a firefighter and area manager for the Richmond, Virginia Skywarn Radio Network. Uh, we also have Todd Krause. He's the warning coordination meteorologist with the National Weather Service office covering the Twin Cities, Minnesota region. Uh, so we look forward to talking to them. Uh, the team's also going to be discussing uh, warning the general public of severe weather. So basically, how's the general public 
getting their severe weather warning notifications? Uh, you know, are we still relying on sirens? What are people using? Are we throwing money at the wrong resources or not? Uh, we're we're going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, first, what I want to do is I want to share with you, uh, recently I, I did a tour of some tornado damage uh, in the Warren and Clinton County areas uh, here in Ohio on uh, June 23rd. And to just kind of give you a little breakdown, what, what happened um, that day is uh, all day long, um, our area here in the and I'll just call it the Wilmington, Ohio, is the local National Weather Service office. So in this particular area, which is just uh, south of um, Wilmington in Cincinnati, uh, anyway, they, we had been in a moderate risk um, uh, warning. Uh, the, the National Weather Service, the Storm Prediction Center, had us in a moderate risk area. And we had various little storms coming through throughout the day. There were some uh, middle of the day down in Kentucky, uh, but they were forecasting that it was going to be overnight that the real severe weather is going to be hitting this area. Well, what happened was this was 3 a.m. Thursday morning, June 23rd. I actually woke up because one of my boys actually just happened to wake me up, but I, uh, since I was awake anyway, uh, I looked at my uh, weather radar to see what was going on. And at that point, they had actually issued, there was a, a tornado warning uh, issued in the uh, Warren County area, moving into the Clinton County area of Ohio. And uh, the funny thing was, it was actually going, the warning covered exactly dead center over the Wilmington National Weather Service office. So they were also- you got to know they did, the they, 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 they did that on purpose. They definitely they're using magnets. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so it was. So I, I, I sent. I remember it was like three something in the morning. I sent out a little uh, tweet that uh, guys in the National Weather Service Wilmington office better be hitting the deck and have Plan B ready to go. But um, what what happened was this. So this was three a.m. in the morning. Um, two tornadoes actually passed near Wilmington, Ohio, and um, uh, Fort Washington, uh, Ohio. Is that right? Brady? Yeah, yeah, close okay. to um, Washington Courthouse. Washington was Courthouse, that's what it was. Yeah, that's, that's what it was, it. sorry. Mm -hmm. um, but they were both confirmed to be EF1 tornadoes. Uh, wind speeds, the National Weather Service predicted about 100 to 105 miles per hour. Uh, so not huge, no deaths, no injuries, thank God. Um, but the one I saw, so I, I drove up there, this was uh, then Thursday morning, um, I don't know, nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, but I drove up there just to see if I could see anything or run into anything. And um, I happened to see the one that was close to Wilmington. That was an EF1 tornado. This thing as an EF1 lasted 21 miles, uh, which for an EF1, and, and I'll even just throw that out to Todd. I know I haven't really officially introduced you, Todd, from the National Weather Service, but an EF1 going 21 miles, uh, is that, substantial it's not uh it's not unusual it's it's okay. not common but it's not unheard of either okay okay i just i thought maybe something that i shouldn't say weak because it was a, a tornado 100 miles per hour <laughs> uh, 105 mile per hour winds but to last that long um was a little surprising to me but uh, i i did some video of a farmhouse i saw that a couple barns got wiped out there was metal um sheet metal from the barn that was tossed a good three to 400 yards down 
from the barn into the cornfields. Um, I've got a video that I had on Twitter, but we'll make sure we get that up on our, our stormfrontfreaks.com website as well. So you can see that currently it's on uh, my Twitter site, which is at Phil Storm Pod. So you can see it there, but we'll get it on the website. Um, I also, uh, I, I had a little interview with one of the residents um, because I drove around quite a bit and I saw a lot of tree damage. Um, there was some damage to some homes. The big one I saw was the farmhouse that I just talked about, but there's another home a little bit um, northwest of this particular farmhouse, a little bit sooner in the tornado path that had a had some damage to it as well. One of the barns actually had a piece of plastic, just black uh, plastic, I bet no more than an eighth of an inch thick um, that had gone completely into the side of a metal barn wall. Oh, wow. Just to show you, yeah, how a, how a, a sheet of plastic um, that's that looked like it was probably part of a water storage tank or something like that. Septic tank, probably. Just went straight into the uh, straight into the side of the barn. But anyway, um, I, I did a quick little interview with the resident of that home to kind of find out what happened because this was three a.m. in the morning, guys, and and you don't want severe weather like that to be hitting that time of the evening where you're sleeping or you're not paying attention and everything else. And, and uh, we'll, we'll play the, uh, we'll play the interview for you here now. All right. So this is uh, it's Thursday, June 23rd, uh, early this morning, uh, about 3 AM uh, storms came through here. We're in Hickoryville, Ohio, just North of Wilmington, south. just South of Wilmington, Ohio. Um, and we had a storm come through here last night, and I'm actually uh, standing outside a home of Scott McCarran, uh, who was here. Um, Scott, roughly what time was it, and what were you doing when it came through? It was 3 a.m., and actually I was sleeping when it came through. Um, and our phones started going off with the warnings, and, but the first thing I heard was my wife yelling, let's get to the tub. So we spent about a half hour in our bathtub. You did, so you ran right to the bathtub. Is that first floor bathtub? First floor, I said, yep, first floor bathtub. Um, now we have a cellar, but it would. my wife and daughter will not go in the cellar. <laughs> sure, okay. <laughs> so yeah, we we went to the tub and, and we set it out and brought our dog and cat in there. And So so tell me just a little bit, what, what have you noticed here around your property that you saw has been damaged? Uh, we've lost three mature trees. Uh, we lost our uh, electric from the power pole to our house, uh, lost our our mast for electric, um, lost uh, our uh, swing set, um, and that's just about the gist of it. You know, house house is otherwise good shape. Uh, as of right now, we think the house is fine. Good. And you were you were talking to me. One other thing, uh, you were talking earlier about um, what you thought was going on throughout the day as far as the storms, and you mentioned something about you just kind of were. Uh, yeah, I just. I thought the storms were have already, uh, uh, you know, were d dissipated earlier, and I didn't know that there was one forming at 10 o'clock at Chicago, you know, and I was already reading and then went to bed and had no idea anything was coming. So um, it was a surprise to me for sure. How, how did you at least learn about what was the, the storms that were coming through the day? How were you at least aware of that? Uh, when I got off work, I came and uh, was watching uh, watched the news okay. just for a little bit and, and 
and that you know I watched it for five minutes to see what was going on at this present time and I turned it before they gave me a forecast so uh, it's partially my fault for not paying attention to the weather for sure well I think it was a little hard because I think three o'clock in the morning I don't think most people expect any kind of tornadoes or that kind of severe weather right exactly exactly three o'clock in the morning you don't expect anything to happen so it was definitely a surprise. Good. Well, I, I appreciate it, and um, I'm glad everybody's okay. Yeah, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. So, you know, so here he is, 3, 3 a.m. in the morning, and I, there's a couple things in that interview when I was talking with him is, you know, number one, um, he said he did find out his, their phones were going off. So at least they had some kind of uh, severe weather notification on their phones. Um but he went to bed thinking those storms that we had had earlier in the day was what was the severe weather they were forecasting for the day when really the severe stuff was for the the late evening, actually early morning of the next day. He went to bed thinking it was already already done. Yeah, that that's great. Plus, uh, hopefully he had a strong tub, right? yeah it sounded like the whole the whole family was in the tub it's been a hot tub yeah hopefully hopefully clean too you know that that would have been a little gross have the kid you know i no i get it though he he said he said they have a they have a cellar but the wife and the the daughter wouldn't go go there i get it no i get it if that if that thing was you know probably all the spider webs and everything and a lot of people's cellars i get that part Uh, you know and and he mentioned uh you know part of it was his fault for not uh really following the weather all that closely later on in the evening because i would imagine uh, not knowing for sure but i would imagine the evening news at uh, 10 or 11 p.m whichever time it is in the at, in in that area uh, i would imagine that uh, they were hitting hard that there was still a pretty good threat of severe weather and and they might have been my guess is they were i i obviously wasn't paying attention to them but my guess is they were only because i had been following the wilmington national weather service office on social media to and and some of their uh some of their reports that they were forecasting hey the the severe stuff is still yet to come but obviously the average person isn't probably doing that i mean that's me no. cuz i'm a weather geek uh the <laughs> average person you know isn't isn't doing that they're not following no, the, their local national weather service on on social media to find that out. So, well, let's do this. I just I want to share a little bit of that, and and if if any of our listeners are interested about that uh, any of that damage or or as I toured that, you guys can check out our website. You get some more information there. But uh, I do want to get into our guests. You've obviously been hearing about hearing from one of them already tonight, but uh, we've got two guests this evening. Uh, Ian Enterline, he's a firefighter and and Skywarn area manager in the uh, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, area and we also have got Todd Krause he's the uh, warning coordination meteorologist for the National Weather Service in the Twin Cities so welcome guys good Thanks to have you hello hey. hey now I can't uh, I can't see Todd but Ian's got that whole Expendables movie thing going on <laughs> <laughs> don't Wait, tell the guys at the man? firehouse that... <laughs> Expendables 10 He's in it. <laughs> All right. So I'm just um, I'm just sitting here at home uh, enjoying our uh, fresh Canadian cool air. It's uh, oh, yeah. 72 oh, degrees, oh, no humidity right now, a nice don't north rub wind. It in, Todd. Oh yeah, eh? <laughs> it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you betcha. Doing real well here, yeah. But uh, soon, <laughs> my my grandmother came from Norway, so I, uh, hey, I mine too. was well steeped in that. Well, good. Well, it's uh, so so we, 
Ian, Ian's on. So obviously we wanted to focus tonight and talk a little bit with you guys about um, uh, Skywarn radio networks and, and spotter networks and how that uh, is important to the National Weather Service. And uh, Ian is kind of uh, helps to manage some of that and schedule some of that. And so we'll, we'll talk to those guys a little bit about that. But um, obviously we've got MJ is up in Minnesota as well. Here I am. And MJ uh, is also a part of the uh, Kennebec County. Uh, did I pronounce that right? Even uh, we, we say Kennebec. Serious? Serious. <laughs> really? There, yeah. And I, been several... I mean, I lived up there, so I, but I still, I always thought it was Kennebec. But, there there have right. been several uh, articles in our paper over the years that uh, tell us how to pronounce it. So. That's all in America, actually. Mark MJ is also a part of the uh, the Skywarn Radio Network up there, so he's he's gonna uh, be able to to provide some feedback on this as well. But um, Ian, I I just I want to just a quick start with you. Sure. So you, you mentioned you're responsible for staffing net controls. Yeah, during so, a weather event in the Richmond mm-hmm. metro area. So yeah, what what is what's net controls? What is that? What does that involve? Um, well, uh, I know you had mentioned that some of the other weather service offices have somebody at the office staffing a radio. We do have that capability at the Wakefield office, but generally we don't do that unless it's a hurricane or a prolonged winter weather event. Um, so what we do is we, we have somebody set up to um, take the reports from the spotters. They put them in the computer and then sends it off to the uh, meteorologists at the Wakefield office in, in real time. So... That way, they're not being bombarded with a bunch of phone calls from spotters. We centralize that uh, report taking, and then they don't have to deal with a bunch of people calling on the so, phone. So you've got one person that is inputting all of this into now. Is this a software program or a link on the web, or how is that set up? Yeah, uh, our Skywarn uh, manager, uh, Steve Crow, uh, KG4PEQ, he, uh, he is the manager for the Skywarn program out of Wakefield. And uh, he's also a software programmer, so he's written all this software. We've got a website, wx4akq.org, that you guys can go visit anytime you want. And then uh, we have a user side of that that we can access. And uh, we're able to, uh, as net controllers, uh, input that information, type it in, and then we hit send. And then it goes off to the guys at the Weather Service office. So are you training all of your – sorry, Brady, just one other question. Are you training all of your spotters then to – to somehow get to one of the net controllers or, or well, we'll how, be on how a, is we'll that be on a, We use a, a VHF uh, repeater, uh, radio yeah. repeater. So yep. uh, we have a designated repeater for each area. Ours is pretty wide coverage in the Richmond metro area. And uh, when a weather event comes up, and uh, like last week we had some tornado warnings come up, we were in a moderate risk. And uh, I knew that going in about a day ahead of time. So as soon as I start getting that information, uh, getting fed to me in my email um, from the weather service, I start, okay, this is the time frame we're looking at. Um, I need somebody to run the net. I need somebody to be backup. And uh, just in case that person loses power or has to take cover, anything of that nature. And uh, so we have seamless transition uh, if anything does happen. So that person's listening to radio, they start the net up. And uh, if anybody's out there, sees anything, they call in to the net controller and, and give the information. So does that person have to have like a prerequisite of typing like 2 million words a minute or something? Or? <laughs> <laughs> there is, we do have a, a three hour class on uh, net 
being a net control operator. So um, that's not something that just everybody in the system can do. You have to you have to go to this class, and uh, every uh, report that's entered um, is rated for accuracy uh, post incident. Um, so, and then we also go in and clean up some of the reports if there's some typos and stuff like that. So, um, those reports are kept in the system for pretty much forever. So, uh, more or less somebody hacks the software and the whole thing goes down. But other than that, I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> that uh, would stink. It, it would stink, but uh, it's, it's a pretty good system. Um, we really enjoy using it and it's very user friendly once, once you get the training. So, and, and so Ian, just, just so our listeners know, you're talking all of you and all your spotters are using amateur radio to communicate. Is that correct? Correct. correct two meter amateur radio. And then uh, some areas are using UHF. Um, but uh, here in Richmond, we use VHF primarily two meters. Sure. So quick question. Um, so um, I know you talked about getting all that information from your storm spotters. Now we mm-hmm. had a, um, a storm spotter training in Columbus um, had a, you know, pretty good show from Wilmington um, and pretty good show from you know, a lot of the students and people there. Um, now, how do you know if, the information the spotters are giving you is accurate. How do you know who to trust? How do you know who not to trust? Cause I know, you know, I got an activation code and then I gave it to my brother and I gave it to my mom and they both became storm spotters as well, even though they have no meteorological background. <laughs> what, what are you doing? Um, Brady? I, no, okay. Nice. He's they giving, it, he's the giving all, uh, all the You're off the out. team. You're off I the charged team. five bucks a piece, okay? It worked, all right? I got 10 bucks out of it. But anyway, so yeah, i just wondering, you know, how do you sort through? I mean, there's just got to be just crap that, you, that some there people is, feed you. Um, and how do you, you know, how do you go through that? Well, um, you know, probably about 70% of the Skywarn network is non-amateur radio operators. So those people are, are – are, and Todd – probably verify this out of, out of Minnesota is that they're calling in on the phone. They're not amateur radio operators. They're calling in on the phone. They're giving um, their reports directly to the weather service office. Whereas our, you know, we're the the amateur radio community is pretty tight knit. We pretty much know just about everybody in the area and, and the ones who have gotten the certification, we know those people. Occasionally we got some people, we had a guy a couple years back. I remember we had a, we had, one um tornado watch with a couple severe thunderstorm warnings and uh i still don't know who this guy was but he came across the radio reporting a double rainbow and uh <laughs> you know i mean i wouldn't say that meets the severe criteria or anything i'm pretty sure it doesn't did he find he the pot someone of gold. very rich yes um uh, you know but that stuff will get filtered out if we got a a, a good net control <laughs> operator that person enter that information in the system so the weather service guys won't even deal with that we'll deal with that on the front end you know and then they just don't have to even what see what it. do you so. name that guy when you type it into the computer that's a that's a match game question Asterix. for later i think yeah. <laughs> oh so anyway, that's how we do it here. Um, you know, each each weather service office has a little bit different uh, way of doing it, but uh, we try to keep it a little bit more decentralized, so the weather service guys don't have to have to. Uh, there's only two, uh, maybe three people tops at the Wakefield office at any given time, even during uh, severe weather events. So they're going to be busy enough as it is without having to deal with any of us. So we just try to take that off of them as much as we can. 
So who at your National Weather Service office then is um, logged into that system or whatever? How, how are, are they they're getting, getting that they're pretty get, quickly? Yeah, it's whoever's there. Whichever yeah, okay. meteorologists are there at that time, um, they're able to receive information. And uh, if we had to, we could call them up. We all have the phone number. Um, if for some reason I can't get through via or something goes down, I can I can always call them on the phone. So. And Todd, you you handle um, part of your role is obviously you handle and talking with you the Skywarn training in the Twin Cities region. Um, does that include not only the spotter training, but is there any special radio operator training you're doing as well? And I think you actually said you did one this morning, right? Yeah, actually had one uh, for uh, some National Guard members. Um, as was mentioned, uh, not all spotters are ham radio. And so um, here in this area, I'd say probably, um, you know, similar percentage are, are ham radio, you know, maybe one-fourth our ham radio spotters, the rest are uh, just other interested people that enjoy watching weather and reporting. And so we're happy to take whatever we can because we're always looking for reports no matter what the source. But we uh, we do place a high premium on our uh, amateur radio operators. And so there are about uh, 10, uh, 10 groups that we work with, Skywarn groups that are all amateur radio operator groups uh, that we work with uh, around central southern minnesota and uh, western wisconsin and uh you know so for example Kaneba county there you've got a number of operators they're all going to know each other they'll be able to filter out the reports pretty well um they're about midway between minneapolis and duluth right. uh, whereas in minneapolis st paul here you've got a metro area with uh, nearly three million people and so you're not going to know every radio operator that's out there and that's where it's up to the net control operator to do a good job of, and they're pretty savvy at it uh, after they've been at it for a little while. They're pretty savvy at uh, getting to the proper type of report. So Todd and Ian, I guess <clears throat> this question is for both of you guys. Um, when you're looking at, you know, a severe weather event and you're looking at getting, you know, complete coverage of an area, you know, having people here, here and here, do you actually tell, you know, these spotters where to go? Or do they just kind of go? Because I know, you know, I know if I'm out there spotting, I'm going to try and go to the tornado. I'm going to try and go to right. the area of worst weather. And I feel like if everyone were to do that, you you wouldn't, you know, because there could be, you know, a tornado here, but there could be, you know, a downburst here or some severe storms over here that need cover. Right. You know, how, do people? Is there a lot of pushback in that? And I guess my question is for Ian, you can start first, and then Todd, you can weigh in. Um, you know, is is that a problem at all? I would say for us, it isn't. Um... Our group isn't extremely large. We just uh, were reorganized about eight years ago. And we have a core group of us that are uh, that kind of chase the storm a little bit. And then there's a, another group of people, um, you know, with the demographics of amateur radio is generally a little older. So a lot of these people uh, are just reporting from home. Generally, we have one guy in particular we know. Whenever he comes on, every time he comes on for every single Skywarn net. <laughs> and he's totally reliable, great guy, but I know exactly where he's going to be. He's going to be at his house. And <laughs> if something passes by his house, he's going to give us a report. And that's all I care about, you know. Um, so generally, we don't have an issue with everybody going toward the storm. Um, for us, it's just having numbers overall. Um, 
we were, were actively recruiting and working with the different amateur radio groups in the area. And uh, in the last year or two, we've really grown and uh, we're going to continue to do so. I think we've done really well. How big is your yeah. area? My area um, is area one of the Wakefield office, uh, multiple other areas. There's uh, the Williamsburg area, then the Norfolk Newport News area, Virginia Beach. Um, there's uh, guys who run those areas that are the same level, I guess, as me. And uh, I, I talk to them all the time. Sometimes we share net control operators if we're short, like during the day, people are at work. Um, and we can connect to certain repeaters via voice over internet. So some, sometimes we do that for each other just to get coverage. But uh, my area is Richmond metro area and then down into the Twin, uh, the twin Cities, the Tri-Cities area, Hopewell, Petersburg, and Colonial Heights, Virginia, which is about 30 miles south of Richmond. So we have about eh, 1.1 million people in, in my area, well, population-wise. And I'm, I'm going to jump in um, and, and say, and then, Todd, you can tell me if, if we're doing it right up here in Connecticut County or not. But I'll, I'll tell you, Brady, how... <laughs> And the rest of you listening, how we do it, um, it's similar. Ian mentions you have some people who just are spotting from their houses, and that's what we have. We have too, and we know where. Of course, we know where they all are. And so, those of us who are mobile tend to try to put ourselves in different locations, uh, on one side or the other of a storm, or uh, in one part or the other of the county where it may be headed, uh, or so on, just so that we can have a little diversity in where we're at. And, and report what we're seeing from different angles and, and, and different sources. So we as right. a group try to do that. Um, I don't, we don't usually, and, and Todd can talk about this, I don't, we don't usually hear from the National Weather Service where they want us. They kind of take us where we are. Uh, but but <laughs> right. maybe in different areas, that's different, Todd. So you, you can comment on that. Well, the, uh, yeah, certainly we don't uh, normally tell which spotters where they should be and all that now. Having said that, there are times when the radar is showing there's strong rotation at a certain place, and and we might uh, then request uh, one of our operators that, that volunteers in our radio uh, area. Um, we might say uh, that there's strong rotation up here, you know, 30 miles uh, west of Kennebec County or something like that, and then that ham radio operator might relay that on the net to the other net control operator uh, for that group. And, and so that's how the information can get passed. And so sometimes we'll, we will pass along that type of information, but in general, we're not uh, saying where spotters should be. Come on. There's gotta be Sounds one good. spotter. You want to <laughs> tell them where to go. right? <laughs> yeah. The rain. Well, we, we will very coyly say there's strong rotation up here, but then well, we yeah, don't say the flock. I'm sure people are <laughs> in Alaska, <laughs> but then we don't say, and we need uh, Joe and Fred to drive up there. Um, you know, yeah. if they want to, yeah. if they want to make that choice and drive up there, you know, that's up to them. But, uh, you know, we'll say where the storm is the strongest, uh, where the strong rotation might be. Um, and that's generally about the extent of it. How are you set up, uh, Todd, at the Twin Cities office in Chanhassen to receive the radio reports? Well, we've gone to a, a little bit, uh, I think, of somewhat of a novel approach, uh, but maybe it's not so novel based on other offices, but uh, I think it is. We've got, uh, we've actually got seven different uh, ham radios. Um, 
one HF, which is going to be extremely rare to, for us to ever use, uh, one dual bander and then five others that are two meter. And um, those radios are basically just listening to essentially specific repeaters. We are not listening to each individual spotter group. Um, what happens is the individual spotter groups will be on their own local nets using whatever repeater they're using. And then the net control operator for that group, such as, let's say, Kennebec County, that net control operator will get on a separate repeater that we are monitoring. And by that, we, by doing that, we aren't listening to all the many reports uh, on all the many different nets. Instead, we're just listening to the wheat instead of the chaff, so to speak. It, it does surprise me a little bit that Todd, there's not a standard that there's not a that the National Weather Service doesn't set a standard for each of their offices how to operate that. It sounds a little different. Well, it really depends on on what resources offices have. For a while, in at the Chanasson office in Minneapolis, um, you know, half of the staff had licenses. There's a very strong volunteer group uh, that we get uh, coming into the office and. That's been the culture for years and years. Uh, so we get a lot of volunteer uh, uh, operators coming in to help staff our radios. Um, and so we've got an awful lot of activity. Then there may be other uh, areas, uh, other weather offices that just don't have that kind of activity. Um, and so it really is, is very local dependent, I think, depending on how much activity you've got and how much interest there's been by the hams. Do you think there, sh there should be a standard? I mean, do you think there should be I don't know some how you really at least can. minimal? I don't know how you really can, because every area of the country is going to be different. You know, Ian mentioned uh, there in, in, uh, in Virginia, uh, the hams are, are mainly uh, are coming in for mainly hurricanes and snowstorms. Um, Certainly, they're not here for in Minnesota for hurricanes, but you know, one might <laughs> you never know. Independence Day is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I, one little tidbit on that: the Galveston hurricane of 1900, the remnants of that came up to Minnesota and produced flooding. Um, flooding! Wow, someone's yeah, basement um, or like serious flooding. Apparently, serious flooding. <laughs> okay, wow. Um, hey, but anyway, so we're, came through Cincinnati. But, but you, yeah, yeah. One might think that they're active for snowstorms, but there aren't because uh, uh, we really need them the most during severe weather. Uh, that's far, and we've got a very active program. We've got um, a thousand, honestly, thousands of spotters that have gone through the program over the years, over the last five years. And it's and and as Ian mentioned, uh, you know, not just ham radio operators, but um, in rural Minnesota, once you get outside Minneapolis-St. Paul, a tremendous number of our spotters, I'd say the vast majority of them, are volunteer firefighters. And uh, and so it's really neat to go to all those uh, rural counties and teach a lot of the, the firefighters there and or law enforcement officers and some ham radio operators as well. Um, yeah. Go ahead, I kind of on. drifted off the topic, I think, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think well, we got time for off, one let's more question. Let's go to our firefighters. Woo. Yeah. 
right. Go ahead, Brady. You had something? I, I had I had a listener oh. comment, but go ahead first. Okay. Well, I, I just wanted to know where where did the name Ham Radio become? You know, every time I hear that, I just think of I just think of food, and it makes me hungry. The question everybody you know, wants man. to know, right? Uh, it comes. It, from I, I feel the, like that that has to be a user. Go ahead. It comes from, it comes from the FCC designation for because uh, they have des- three letter designations for every different radio service. So uh, the FCC uses HAM for amateur radio, and that's where it came from. Yep, ham radio operator. So. All right. So here's I the question. The three letter, Go ahead, Todd. Didn't they didn't they refer to like home amateur mobile, or not amateur, or, or not mo- not mobile, but home amateur something? Maybe. I don't know. Possibly. Well, I'm sure you get I... lots of. I'm sure you get lots of uh, people calling. I could in, probably come up with three in. words of HAM. What that stands for? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a contest. All right, hey, here's here's a question. Uh, this is actually we we got a question from. Um, uh, and truthfully, I don't know if I can claim they're a listener, but uh, this is from the the skywarnforum.com. <laughs> Uh, I got on the Skywarn, yeah. <laughs> I got on skywarnforum.com and and I'd been on there and but I I put on there because I thought this was going to be an important episode that relates to them and I kind of solicited hey questions what are some questions we can ask. And so one of their moderators uh and they go by KB4MTO and Ian oh, I heard yeah. you talking yeah, I heard I him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard you talking about that, which is, you know, I, I was thinking BB-8 and R2-D2, but um, those are the ham radio operator call sign uh, call signs, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So KB4MTO wanted to know um, if you guys have, and, and you know, I'll ask this question goes to you and then also we'll go to Todd because it's a little different, but if you have a good relationship with local law enforcement, and if so, uh, what did you do to create that relationship, or what are you doing to continue it? Well, for me, for me, I have a good relationship with them because I work at the other side of the aisle. Sure. Um, so I know a lot of uh, police officers and whatnot. But uh, as far as the uh, Skywarn itself, I wouldn't say we we have a lot of uh, amateur radio operators who are officers as well. So I mean, as a far as far as a formal relationship i i can't say we we have one but just interpersonal with uh people who are involved on both sides i i think we have a really good one todd how about you how are, are you guys how do you operate with the local law enforcement from the national uh, very well and and in fact in our uh our skywarn training the uh there's a there's a board in minnesota that uh mandates uh continuing education for all the peace officers and uh probably 25 plus years ago um somebody at the weather office in minneapolis worked it out with the state board for minnesota that our skywarn classes qualified for continuing ed credits for the peace officers here in minnesota and so that just encourages them uh, to attend our classes and and frankly they see the need for it as well because especially once you get outside the uh, metro area of, of Minneapolis-St. Paul, uh, in the counties, uh, the rural counties of Minnesota, you've got deputies out on the road that uh, need to be able to 
see what's going on and, and be able to make those reports. So we've got a great relationship uh, and, and always have for many, many years. We just continue to foster that by working with uh, them, not just in Skywarn, but anything they need in terms of weather support for any type of public safety. And Todd, if I'm not mistaken, I think to this day, you still have never had a speeding ticket. Is that right? <laughs> I've had a grand total of one, and of all places, that was up in Alaska. Of course. <laughs> Are you speeding where, where in Alaska come... with all that ice? That's, that's an yeah. accident waiting where, to happen. That's right. I, I completely thing. missed that they had that the, that it, that their sign had marked uh, a, a reduction in speed. So I totally <laughs> oh. missed it there. So, yeah, uh, and then here... But yes. Here, here's one of one last question because I think it might be important for some of our listeners, Todd. If someone wants to become a spotter, what I guess how can they get involved? How how can they become a storm spotter from the National Weather Service? Well, there are a couple of things. Uh, most weather offices in severe weather prone areas or hurricane or something like that. Most weather offices will conduct spotter classes where you can actually go and attend in person. Um, there are some uh, classes uh, out in, let's say, the western U.S. that they might focus on different things. But uh, in general, in the central U.S. and, and southern states, and uh, I assume the east as well, um, that the individual weather offices put on classes uh, that people can attend in person. They'll announce that on our on websites, on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever way they can. Uh, having said that, those are the in-person classes, and they'll vary from time of year depending on the threat. You know, for example, you know, Florida, they're may, if they're dealing with potential tornadoes, they've got to have their classes uh, really before they get into prime tornado season. So they'll have them earlier than than the classes up north here. Um, and if people cannot attend in person, there are a couple of online options. Um, you know, online training, I don't think is always is generally as good uh, as being there in person. And I say that just because when you're in a class, you can interact back and forth with the instructor, ask questions, have them mm -hmm. point out, have him or her point out things. Uh, other members of the class will point out things. Uh, so the in-person classes are, are really helpful, but there are going to be some times when people just can't get to a class, and there are a couple of online options. How about, uh, Ian, What if someone wants to get involved, and Mark, you can comment, MJ, on this as well. Uh, if someone wants to get involved in their radio uh, spotter network, um, how do they get involved, and what's a good way to get started there? Well, if they're already an amateur radio operator, uh, if they live in our area, all they have to do is go to our website and uh, sign up for, uh, like Todd said, one of the uh, in-person classes. Um, usually, uh, we'll have a couple of basic and, a, and an advanced held in our area at least once a year, usually a basic in the spring before the severe weather season starts and then uh, an advanced in the fall. And then the online options as well. Uh, if they're not an amateur radio operator, and they want to get that certification. Uh, there are some groups in the area, in our area, that hold classes in person and do all the teaching, and then you can do self-study, whatever you want to do. So, uh, but like I said earlier, you don't have to be an amateur radio operator. You could just uh, take the classes and call it in. 
Yep. And I'll, MJ, I'll add, how about how about you guys? Yeah, I'll just add add to that. It, if you know, if they are a, an amateur radio operator, um, just um, it, then they're probably a little bit active and, and look for your local your local amateur radio club. Probably if they're not part of uh, the the Skywarn network, they'll know how to get you in touch uh, with those folks yep. for sure. And if you're just starting out and you don't know what to do, you know, you can go to like ARRL.org and look for your local, who is your local club, who is your local contacts for amateur radio. Um, and, and like Ian, Ian said, we do trainings uh, in our area and all throughout, I think, throughout the, the United States. Uh, these clubs will do trainings to get new people involved in amateur radio as well, if that's an interest that somebody has. Cool. All right. It's uh, one of my favorite times of the show. It is time for lightning round. Let's go. Here we go. And, uh, we, we are going to do it match game style. Whoa. What's that? Yep. We are doing it match game style. <laughs> you, you guys might hear a, some sound in the background. I don't know what that is because we probably don't have a license for it. But... Bill, you're, you're going to have to explain what match game is to the younger viewers. All right, so match I don't game. Think... To most of our I, audience. I will, I will, I'll give you a brief explanation. So this was Gene Rayburn was the old host of match game. This was back in the 1970s. Uh, and basically how this game is played is we have two contestants. And lo and behold, we have Ian and Todd as our two contestants. And there is a panel, usually a panel of about, I think it was like six to eight, I think it was six celebrities or like B-level celebrities. They were never like the top celebrities. They were always kind of like a, a Betty White. Uh, I'm trying Scott to Scott Bale. Some... Yeah, I don't think Well, was Richard, Dawson. Was. <laughs> Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson, yeah. yeah. Like, anyway. There were, so, there were some actually pretty big names actually. <laughs> And, you but know, some B level stars too. It's it's true. It's true. Back in the seventies, I maybe was not up to speed on who who the A level celebrities <laughs> were. But me neither. Um, however, our celebrities tonight will be our uh, freaks. So we got MJ, Maz, and Brady. You guys are going to be our celebrities. So what happens is, I as the host will read a sentence, and there will be a blank somewhere in the sentence. And so the goal is for our. Um, is for Ian and Todd to come up with a fill-in-the-blank word or words that they think will most match the the words that the celebrities will come up with. So if they can if they can match the same words that our celebrities come up with, uh, they'll get a point for each one they match. And we've got two questions tonight. But here's what you have to understand: back in the '70s, if you don't know this show, the sentences, the blank would be kind of a little suggestive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes said, a right? lot suggested. A lot for the suggested. 1970s. For the 1970s. Oh, yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, baby, this was this was free love back in the 1970s. <laughs> you gotta Dude. you're gonna run out of music, buddy. Uh, Grandma, just, if you're listening, stop over. listening right now. And so time. A little inappropriate. All okay? right, so we've got two questions, uh, and of course they're weather related. Uh, but what we'll do is I'm I'm gonna give you the question, and then you guys have to and if you don't have anything to write it on for my my celebrity panel, uh, at least know what it is in your head. If you can write it down and then show it or, or whatever, that'd be great. Because I'm going to ask our contestants first what their answer is. And then I will then we'll have the celebrities announce their answer. OK, you guys ready right. for this? If you need help, we'll bring we'll it on. Help. So this, this, <laughs> all right. So, so here's oh, the first are one. we ever? Yeah. All right. 
So here's the first question, or here's the first sentence. I was visiting Arizona the other day with my good friend James Spann. While out for a casual walk, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, look at the haboob coming our way. When I turned to look, I expected to see blank. (laughs) So I'll read that again. I was visiting Arizona the other day with my good friend James Spann. While out for a casual walk, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, look at the haboob coming our way. When I turned to look, I expected to see blank. All right, so think of your think of your response. All right. And which contestant gets this? Uh, this is both you guys. You both are going to do it. Okay. All right. You, you, we're we're both going to do this. You probably you probably know the lay of the land better than I do, Todd. But we're going to have you both do it. We're playing at Stormfront <laughs> Stormfront Creekway. All right. <laughs> Here we go. So I was was visiting Arizona the other day with my good friend James Spann. While out for a casual walk, he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, look at the haboob coming our way. When I turned to look, I expected to see Ian. Dolly Parton. Yeah. Dolly Parton. Okay. Todd. Oh, my. Uh, Yeah, I've actually been struggling with this because I'd forgotten about Dolly Parton. (laughs) <laughs> uh let's see um i should have asked you if you were ready sorry about that <laughs> but, but there's a time schedule there even is one there, on the there, game, there so. is a, there is a, there is a time schedule do you have um, the jeopardy theme song too yeah no <laughs> the uh boy the um that's all right. If you if you don't have well, well you, you're important on the next one. Then I'll you're, you you got to come in on the next okay. one. All right. So so we got Dolly Parton. So we'll start Maz with you. Uh, I when I turned to look, I expected to see. Oh, I could throw in Raquel Welch, I suppose. Okay, yeah, that Raquel works. Welch. Hey, <laughs> turn, buddy. Two women. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there's a haboob coming our way. So Maz, I turned to look, expected to see what? One Dolly Parton. Serious Dolly Parton with one Dolly Parton. Okay. Wow. Well, because otherwise, we'll call, isn't it haboobs? We'll call that. That's true. It could be. But we will call that a match for Ian. So good job. All right. Um, MJ, when I turned to look, I expected to see what? A clown. What was your response? A clown. Okay. Huh. Not really funny. So we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> Clowns are scary. Uh, Brady. Right? Brady. A boob was coming our way. I expected to see what? What was your? A box of kittens because that's the only thing I picture because I'm completely <laughs> appropriate. Okay. All right. So <laughs> Dolly was an oh, amateur oh. weather person. You All right. Got so it. Ian, Ian, Ian got a point out of that. Um, I don't know and, how. And but Brady is learning what the match game is all about. And I got negative two. Uh, and so we're going to move on to question uh, number two. All right. This is the last one was just reported to the National Weather Service office that a spotter was in the middle of a hailstorm. Though the National Weather Service eventually reported it as two-inch hail, the spotter reported it as hail the size of his... (laughs) Blank. All right. So it was just reported to the National Weather Service office. The spotter was in the middle of a hailstorm. So the National Weather Service eventually reported it as two-inch hail. 
The spotter reported it as hail the size of his blank. We'll give you a few minutes. There are a few seconds. Sorry, this is a family show, right? I mean, <laughs> family show. We, we still, we still haven't gotten the E explicit rating yet. But this is the match game. If you watch the match game, this is what it's all about. It, it could be suggestive, but you know, you could probably come up with something that this guy has that's two inches, right? <laughs> that's not suggestive, is what I'm saying. It's up to you. All right, uh, let me ask you this, uh, Todd. Do you have an answer? I do. Okay, Ian, do you have an answer? Uh, yeah. Okay. So one last time, it was just reported the National Weather Service office spotter was in the middle of a hailstorm. Though the National Weather Service eventually reported it as two-inch hail, the spotter reported it as hail the size of his Ian nose. No nose. Okay, Todd. That was my answer. <laughs> no, okay, that's all right. You guys can no. have the same answer. That's pretty good. The celebrities get some points for that one. I will yeah, change it each... then and say head. Okay, head. Head. no, you can do nose. I think you can each. Well, the same. no, it needs to be different. Uh, it probably should because otherwise Ian's already got a point up on you. So head. All right. Head. So uh, we're going to start with MJ. Uh, the spotter reported it as hail the size of his jewels. What? Jewels. <laughs> Like, well, like a ruby he has up sure. in his bedroom somewhere. <laughs> sure, or hanging Diamond. from a necklace on his whatever, you know. Okay, uh, Jules. <laughs> well, you don't match anybody. So, uh, Brady, uh, the spotter reported it hail the size of his what? Two-inch tennis balls. Tennis balls. Now, I think tennis balls are probably two, a little but two bit, inches. A little two bit bigger. In, we're than getting two closer. Inches, but we're getting right. closer. Uh, unfortunately, you don't, you don't, inches, by the way, tennis balls, tennis or how much? 2.5. 2.5. Wow. That's actually, I wow. thought they were, they were bigger than yeah. that. That's pretty good. Todd would know that. <laughs> I, I told you. I was a little okay. closer. However, that doesn't match anybody. Uh, so Maz, the spotter reported it hail the size of his what? Uh, that would be his Phil Johnson, Phil. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know how I should handle or take that, but it doesn't match anybody. Keep your hands uh, off there. So, so as I've got it, uh, we've got Ian with uh, one point, Todd, unfortunately, with zero. And that is our lightning round match game style. Yay. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, I, think, I think I understand Ian and Todd are sticking around yeah. for our uh, – um, our conversation. I see. I'm confused now with that whole my Phil Johnson thing. <laughs> what does he win? What does he, he win? Wins pride. Dean? That's that's what everybody we wins play when they pride. win our games. Yeah. They win pride. That's all. That's that's enough. Isn't that you enough? can have balls. You can have some of the spiders in my house right now. I think I've seen about three of them. If you guys have seen me looking around, so all I, right. So we we got to take a break. We definitely <laughs> need a break right now. Um, uh, when we come back, uh, Ian and Todd are going to stick with us on our discussion um, regarding warning the public of severe weather for the uh, for how they're getting their severe weather warnings. But in the meantime, so I can collect my thoughts, here's Storm School with Brady Harris. This is Storm School, where together we'll take an in-depth look into certain weather phenomenon why they happen, where they happen, what causes them. Some topics we'll cover, well, things you might have never heard before or things you've heard a lot. Welcome to Storm School. Class is in session. 
Hey, what's up, guys? This is Storm School. I'm Brady, and today we're going to be talking about lightning. Now, last week we talked about hail. This week we're going to be talking about some lightning. Get out a pen and some paper. Write this stuff down because this is some good, good stuff right here. So today, lightning. So let's start off. Um, there are two different types of lightning. There's positive strokes. There's negative lightning. Um, so we'll start with the negative lightning. Um, within negative lightning, there's cloud-to-ground lightning, and then there's cloud-to-cloud lightning. Cloud-to-cloud lightning makes up about 95% of the lightning strikes. So cloud-to-ground lightning is a lot less common. Let's start with cloud-to-cloud. Cloud. So within a cloud, there's an updraft. Within that updraft, there's rising air, there's water vapor, and as it's rising, um, that will eventually get to the freezing level. We discussed this last week with the hail. Once it gets to the freezing level, that water vapor will begin to freeze. As it freezes, some of that, because um, water vapor is polar, some of that negative shear, negative uh, electrons on the water vapor will actually get sheared off and basically um, shoved into the downdraft. So then you'll have these you know, more positive charges going up into the upper areas of the cloud. You'll have negative charges being carried in the downdraft to lower areas of the cloud. So you'll get this electric field of positive on top, negative on bottom on the cloud. Um, that electric field will start to develop. And eventually, when it becomes strong enough, it has to become very, very, very strong because it takes a lot, a lot of charge separation to get that lightning. Cloud-to-cloud -cloud lightning will occur. So that's, you know, that's how cloud-to-cloud -cloud lightning occurs is, um, but, you know, you need ice crystals for that to happen. So you need a stronger storm. That's why in some weaker storms that don't get very tall, you don't get lightning because there's not a lot of ice because the storms aren't very tall enough, you know, to get to that freezing level. So anyway, now our second type of lightning, which um, is cloud-to-ground. So you have that same charge separation that will develop in the cloud. But then um, the, the negative electric field on the bottom of the cloud will get very strong. It, it'll actually attract positive charges. Positive charges on the ground will start to accumulate and get pulled towards these electric charges on the bottom of the cloud because it's such a strong electric field that you know not only will it pull uh, protons from the top of the cloud, but it'll pull positive charges below the cloud on the ground. So then these positive charges will start to kind of clump together towards the bottom of the storm and then um, they'll, they'll actually, you know, push up on higher objects. They'll get pulled up on any higher objects, any trees, any light poles. That's why lightning will actually strike higher objects because these positive charges um, will get pulled up them. And the, the less the distance the lightning travels, the easier it is for it to happen. So that's why lightning will actually strike larger objects. That's a little tidbit there for y'all. Write that down. Anyway, um, so then, you know, eventually... Once again, once that electric field on the ground and the bottom of the cloud becomes strong enough, cloud-to-ground lightning will happen. Now, that's um, it definitely happens, but it's more rare, like we said. Cloud-to-cloud -cloud lightning is a lot more common. Now, an even more rare um, piece of lightning is a positive stroke lightning, which uh, a positive stroke lightning is basically where the positive charge at the top of the cloud actually skips the bottom of the cloud and will branch out and connect with the ground to the side of the thunderstorm outside of the downdraft where there'll be negative charges on the ground accumulating. Um, and that's very rare, um, but what you look for is you look for a storm that um, the lightning actually basically comes out from the storm. It's not in the rain shaft. It's, it's not in the main thunderstorm. It's branching out to the left or right where there's no rain. That's actually, this is actually the most dangerous lightning because this is where lightning can strike up to five miles away from the storm. 
and you know you might look overhead and see blue skies um, so positive lightning strokes are very dangerous you definitely want to watch out for those well guys this is uh definitely a summary there's a lot more you should look um look it up for yourself because there are a lot of theories on this um because we haven't actually proven it yet we haven't figured out how to predict it yet um but you know these theories are are, are pretty good they're i would say they're um definitely better than an educated guess they're um very good theories but we don't actually know for sure. Well, guys, this was Storm School for today. Once again, I'm uh, meteorologist Brady Harris. Back to the podcast. All right, welcome back. Um, we're still trying to collect our thoughts from our match game uh, fun lightning round that we had with the gentleman. Uh, what we want to do now, though, is uh, kind of shift gears a little bit. We want to discuss how the general public is getting their severe weather warnings, uh, but also kind of talk about the are we – are we investing in the right resources is the public even listening to the stuff that we're, we're putting out there. And so what I want to do is I want to bring up a, there's a blog, it's called the weather social. Um, it's at the wxsocial.com. but this was an article by Mike Johnson. It's called the weather social. Where do you get your warnings? And a couple things I want to just some stats that he had in here. Um, Number one, he says, over the past 15 years, approximately 70% of all reported tornadoes occurred during a tornado warning with an average lead time approaching 15 minutes. So about 70% um, of the tornadoes are actually happening in a tornado warning and, and getting 15 minutes lead time. Um, so knowing that, and the other stat I'll throw in there is, is uh, tornado fatalities. Uh, this is from... The U.S. National Hazard Statistics, uh, I got this actually from the, the National Weather Service, but uh, they reported, this is in 2015, 36 fatalities related to tornadoes, uh, which compared to the 10-year average is 110 is the 10-year average. Um, so that's definitely down, which is good. Uh, lightning fatalities, 27 in 2015, the 10-year average is 31, so down a little bit. Um, however, I think the one to, to really, I guess, look at is flooding. Uh, fatalities in 2015, 176 due to floods, and the 10-year average is 84. So that is much higher, wow. uh, over double over double the size. So, so I'll, I'll go back to the article um, uh, by Mike regarding how people are getting the information. He says, number one... Uh, NOAA weather radar um, transmitters. So, and, and Todd might be able to, to comment on this here when I when I finish the stats. Transmitters actually cover about ninety percent of the population. It's estimated, however, that only five to ten percent of homes actually own a radio. So, you got five to ten percent of the population that actually have a weather radio. Then, when it comes to smartphone apps. Uh, and people getting their their in their their warning information from their smartphone apps. Sixty four percent of Americans own a smartphone. So obviously, it seems to me that there's still a gap in there somewhere of people that how the heck are they getting warning information? Uh, and especially as I relate back to what we talked about earlier in the show, you know, a tornado that comes at three a.m. in the morning. Um, how are they getting that? So, so do we even know? And there wasn't a lot of research out there, guys. I, I looked. There's not a lot of research about how people are getting this information. 
So do we even know what the heck we're throwing money at? Probably not. I wouldn't say we, we know. We just try to cover all the bases and uh, hope for the best for, for the most part. I mean, you're never going to get 100% coverage with, with the warnings. So we don't have sirens in Virginia, but we have, you know, we have the cell phone thing. We got the, the weather radios and the TV and the radio, and you try to cover it as best you can, but <clears throat> not everybody's going to be able to receive it. And the ones, some of the ones that do, uh, some of the people that receive it are going to ignore it either way. So you guys don't even have sirens in Virginia. No, we don't have sirens here for really? carrier pigeons, right? We carrier pigeons totally. Um, so, so if I'm no. outside, how do I even know? Like, if I'm at my kid's soccer game, it's it's a crapshoot, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Wow, pretty much. There is a siren in downtown Richmond at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, they use that for a bunch of different things, but they use it for tornado warnings. But that's the only siren around, and five miles outside of town, you're not going to hear it. So, that's kind of scary. Yeah, well, I mean, is. we just don't have the amount of severe weather that you guys would have out out in the Midwest. So, I mean, the, the the cost of putting sirens in for such a low frequency event would would be a hindrance. Yeah, so, Todd, what would you what would you say your your what's what's the um, in the you know your forecasting office? What's the people's response there to tornado sirens? You know, is it do people um, do you get the sense people <laughs> listen or or not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I can tell you you got response. No, no, no. I, I'm laughing because you referred to them as tornado sirens, <laughs> and and if you were in Hawaii or along the west coast, they might be referred to as tsunami sirens. True. Or up in Alaska, mm-hmm. um, if you are in certain areas that are really flood prone, those sirens can be activated for flash flooding. Oh wow! Uh, so. You know, but most people associate them with tornadoes, and so a lot of people will wind up calling them tornado sirens. Uh, I know technically the name is outdoor warning sirens, but I think usually it uh, revolves around what people perceive to be the greatest threat. And I will echo what Ian said. Um, sirens are quite expensive, um, and 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 then to maintain them as well. Um, here in uh, Minnesota, the... Uh, our, our most populous county, Hennepin County, which is where Minneapolis is and many suburbs. You've got a million people in Hennepin County and over 300 sirens. And uh, and, and they just did an upgrade to make those sirens capable of uh, activating automatically when they're in the tornado polygon. And it was a million dollars for that upgrade. Wow. You know, wow. that's a populous county. Yeah. Now, let's say you've got a rural county that may have, let's say, only 12,000 people, and you're trying to upgrade six sirens. That's a ton of money for mm-hmm. uh, a county that doesn't have a, a huge budget. So, And that's just and that's just software upgrade? That's not even hard, hardware upgrade, is it? it uh, well, it can be either or. Okay. But, yeah, the hardware upgrade... Uh, you know, to make a siren, if you've had a siren for 20 years and now you try to uh, add components so it can be digital digital and react uh, automatically, um, the controller down at the base of the siren uh, can be a good $5,000 just for, to make it digital. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's another problem too that um, we haven't really talked about too is, you know, people, I feel like people's responses nowadays, and I think Todd and Ian, you can, you know, 
you can kind of experience this where people don't really take warnings that seriously sometimes. And I feel like that's because sometimes things don't happen or, you know, I think as well, people might hear a siren and they might think, you know, even though the tornado warning isn't actually for their area, they might hear it in the distance. Or, you know, I know in Ohio, we've had times where, you know, there's been a tornado warning in County to the South, but our sirens are going off, you know, for some reason. Um, and I think, you know, the average person, when they get a severe thunderstorm warning on their phone, they don't actually see the box. They just see severe thunderstorm warning for this county and this county. So I feel like there's a real problem with, you know, people actually knowing whether they're in the box, out of the box, you know, because not every, you know, most people don't have radar scope. Most people don't have radar. You know, most people have just the weather channel radars or, you know, they pull up the radar on the internet that don't show the boxes. So I think that's a real problem. Um, And I think that's why, I I think that's why sirens are, 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 are almost demanded by many people here, at least in Minnesota, um, in, in most of the areas, uh, because they're kind of a, in, in some ways, they're a passive means of making sure you are aware of severe weather. You don't have to do anything. You rely on others to uh, put up the siren and maintain it. And, you know, then when it goes off, oh, you look and look around and figure out, do I need to get to shelter? Whereas a lot of the other means of getting warnings, whether it's by email or weather radio or signing up for uh, a, some type of reverse 911 or something, that takes some action, and uh, not many people will do that. And that's one of the beauties of, of, of the wireless emergency alert on the phone is those phones were, are generally automatically set to react. You've got to opt out. You've got to turn off that alarm so that you don't get it. Most of the time, uh, people are not going to do that, so your phones will automatically rack. So it's kind of a passive thing, just like sirens are, because um, I just don't know that all that many people are going to go out and take steps to actively make sure they can get all the warnings they can get. Well, then you also add to it, I mean, I'm, I'm still running into people just in the last week, and they're saying, oh, yeah, they're, you know, there is, I saw this this tornado, and so you know they're and they were misrepresenting whether it was a tornado watch or a tornado warning, and I was just sitting here thinking, oh. puzzled. Oh, it's 2016. How do you not know the difference between this by now? You know, <laughs> that's so right. bad. That's so bad. I'm sorry, but no. Well. <laughs> now, a tornado warning is when there's a tornado possibly on the ground, or conditions are right. And a watch is. The environment is right. There's not actually a storm with the tornado people. Come but on. You, you still get the percentage of people who go, yeah, I'm watching the tornado. I'm like, well, you are watching, but that's not what it means, you know. <laughs> well, I, I, th- it does bring up a good point. And I think, you know, it's the rural areas, I think, of our country that I think miss out even more so on the education or get left behind when it comes to the Metro Center broadcast, television broadcasting that maybe don't reach out and, and focus as much on the rural areas. Um, that's the area that I think is maybe missing it the most. And that's why, truthfully, I was happy to at least hear that um, those folks up in uh, Clinton County, Ohio, that had the EF1 tornado at 3 a.m. in the morning, it was because their phones went off, that at least they had something. Right. And most people are going to have their phones with them almost at all times. It's going to be next to their bed. It's going to be in their console when they're driving down the road. They're going to have it on them. When that goes off, it goes off. 
you know, and, and uh, I own a weather radio on top of that um, because I'm a geek. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the weather radio <laughs> is still going to be the primary means of notifying people. And hopefully people need to be educated how cheap they are. Just go right. to Lowe's and buy one for $30. So, and it's, exactly. like a fi- it's like having a smoke detector, you know what I'm saying? Being a firefighter. So, you know, the education that's put on and, and telling people to have a smoke detector in their house, it's going to save your life. Well, that same education needs to be put out there with the weather radio. It's the, the exact equivalent of right. that in the weather world. And I agree. Detector. I agree. But how do we do that? So if 5 to 10% of the population owns a, re- a weather radio and only 64% of the population has a smartphone that will go off. We're we're still missing a ton of people. Oh, I agree. What I agree. what do we need to be throwing? Where should we be putting our money and resources to education? How how to do that? Because obviously the sirens aren't. Which I thought sirens were everywhere, but obviously that's not the case. I didn't know that, so I learned something yeah. tonight. But um, sirens aren't even supposed to be if you're indoors. Be that's not your right. warning device, right? Right. So I, you know, Todd, has the National Weather Service talked about um, money resources towards whether radio education or something to get that in the hands of more people. Well, we certainly do, you know, try to promote weather radio as much as we can. Um, I, I will say that, you know, when you look at that five to 10% number, I think it varies across what part of the country you're in. So if you're in a really weather sensitive area, I think you're more prone to have those numbers would be higher than in areas where weather is not so much of a concern. And, uh, you know, I know when I talk with some of the uh, uh, folks at uh, one weather radio manufacturer in particular, um, there are times they can't keep them in stock. They just keep selling out quickly. And uh, so I suspect that in really uh, important weather areas of the country, you're going to have a much higher percentage of those with weather radios. Um, Having said that, yeah. The Weather Service uh, and and anybody, when we have our awareness weeks and other times, we'll post information about weather radios and and certainly recommend that people have them. I think people will get the weather radios when you talk about it. Like, for example, hey, you know, first sign of a snowflake and shovels and bread and everything's gone off the shelves. (laughs) And that's probably when it happens uh, for the severe weather season, when a TV station does a special or you know, it's severe weather awareness week and it gets publicized, but then people forget. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and something I, you know, I would like to see, you know, going back to the warning stuff is I almost would like to see the way, not necessarily the way warnings are issued, but I would almost like to see them. Like if you get an alert to your smartphone, instead of it saying severe thunderstorm warning for Delaware and Franklin County, it should say like severe thunderstorm warning like for you, you know, you are in a severe thunderstorm warning, you are in a tornado warning or almost like a picture, because I feel like people, you know, I, you know, I'm aware of counties and stuff like that. My friends are aware of counties, but they might not necessarily know their geographic location and where the borders of that warning are. So I almost would like to see the warnings, at least for some, you know, mediums be changed so that, you know, they're more catered to, Hey, you're in this situation instead of, these counties are in this situation, you know, people might still, that might be what people are thinking when they made those, you know, you know, you're getting this alert because you're in it. But, you know, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like, you know, more tailored warnings, I guess that's hard to do when it's, you know, outputted to a lot of people, but. Well, and also, you know, who's going to love that is the lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah. All right. So it's, it's definitely a complex problem, but you know, there's no easy solution. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, it's a good conversation nonetheless. And, and so as always, we always invite our, our listeners to tell us what you guys think. Uh, you can comment, uh, send us an email at questions at stormfrontfreaks.com. Uh, or you can uh, comment or, or let us know through Twitter at stormfrontfreak. Or you can visit our website, which is stormfrontfreaks.com. And, and as always, we'll share responses uh, on our next show. Definitely want to thank Ian and Todd. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, great sports. Uh, mm. And had a lot of fun having you guys on and learned thank a you. lot tonight. So appreciate having you guys Yay. on. Yeah. Thanks, so thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. You are you more movies. than welcome. Good, Good. Peter. Thank you. If well, I'm ever up in the Minnesota area, I'll uh, take a look at your uh, National Weather Service office. Hopefully, it'll be in the summer when it's not, you know, not in the winter when you guys <laughs> yeah, have a lot may of be snow a, and it's maybe a gorgeous 10. evening now. But yeah, you can call here in January and see what's going on too. <laughs> yeah. Or All watch right. us for the Super Bowl too. Though, <laughs> no, thank believe you. it or not, next Super Bowl will be in Minneapolis. That's true. You guys are going to be busy oh. probably. Uh, work so helping to work pr- that. Yeah. Well. W- no, that we won't be. We'll only be supporting any any law enforcement needs, okay, um, or okay. those in emergency management. But, uh, but there will probably be plenty of that as well. Yeah, plenty of frostbite. Be, it'll probably yeah. be twenty below and a biting north wind or something like that. Beautiful. Wait, don't you work for the Chamber of Commerce? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, but uh, you know, let's a lot take... of people love that. So there's your Chamber of Commerce <laughs> moment. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, you're going to hear the team's nominations for our Weather Fools. And uh, this time we've got a new segment to help you learn about some great weather resources out there as well. You're listening to the Stormfront Freaks Podcast. And now a quick word from our friends at Entropy Technology Design, makers of the Nimbus line of storm detection devices. The Nimbus 4 storm detector combines the power of three microprocessors and patent-pending antenna design to give you real-time information about storms as they form, move, and become a threat to your location. The Nimbus has the ability to see nearly invisible storms as they form and also to detect storm activity as far away as 600 miles. It can see the fast-changing conditions that increase the possibility of tornadoes. The Nimbus can track up to 50 storms at the same time, focusing on the storm activity that can directly impact you. The weather changes quickly, and the Nimbus tracks it all and keeps you informed about the changing levels of danger until your location is safe. The Nimbus is the next generation of storm detection and safety. Go to www.nimbus4.com for more information. And don't forget to enter our contest to win a Nimbus 4 device valued at over $800. For details, visit www.stormfrontfreaks.com or our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks. And congratulations to Stan Doro, who was the winner of our round one Twitter drawing. He will advance to the final four drawing done on our episode six show on August 11th. For round three, running through July 17th, you should send an email message to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com with what you like most about our show or any question you have for the freaks. You may enter once during the round three contest period. Now, back to the podcast. And we're back. Uh, Anyways, great having Ian and and Todd on. 
Um, <laughs> we're gonna. It's time for weather fools, Brady. I, I got to turn it over to you. I'm done. All right, guys. It's time for everyone's favorite part of the week: weather fools, where we look at people across the country and some silly things that they did associated with weather. Well, I'll go first. My weather fool of the week. So there was, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, there were some tornadoes in Ohio, you know, kind of weak or weaker. Um, and my friend, Kyle, Kyle, I'll give you a shout out if you're listening to the podcast. Hopefully you are. Um, but he was actually, no, 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 not all right, at all. Joking. Not at all, Kyle. No. But anyway, he was working an overnight shift, as he does frequently at a factory. And there was a tornado warning for their area. And um, they didn't, you know, the floor manager didn't take them off the line, didn't shut the um, production down. And there was actually tornado damage reported, you know, less than a mile from when that factory was, you know, so she should have done something. I, I guess I shouldn't have said she, whatever. Anyway, they should have done something. Down to 50% of the yeah. population. <laughs> yes, I did. They should have done something. Um, but what Kyle, when Kyle confronted her and asked her why she didn't do it, she said, it was a tornado warning, so there wasn't actually a tornado. It just means that conditions are right for them. And yes, exactly. She said, if it would have been a tornado watch, I would have taken everyone off the floor. And he just, he just said, he, he literally left her office and just said, I quit. He didn't actually quit, but he just, that was how he ended the text. And it was, I just don't understand how the educational system has failed so many people in America. No, wow. Okay. All right. Now on to Phil. Phil, uh, what was your weather fool? All week? right. So my uh, weather fool I got this week was, uh, this is actually a few weeks back, but um, I've, I've totally converted to be an Apple guy. Uh, as MJ knows, I, I was uh, used to be Windows and just because everything we had to do was always Windows. Oh yeah, but uh, I've now uh, you can do everything on Apple now, and I've it's bought good in Kool Aid, great stuff. But anyway, I have I've... drank the Kool Aid. However, this was actually uh, this is a YouTube video uh, that that we'll post, but uh, it was a, a weather bro- a television broadcast of the weather forecast, and the gal given the weather forecast uh, had her and Maz, you would know whatever you know her green screen, and she was showing the weather forecast which was obviously coming from the computer, all of a sudden there was a window that popped up that said time to update to Windows 10. Uh, during her broadcast, <laughs> we need to update I saw to that. Windows 10. I saw that. Oh, my gosh. Um, Did she update? Did she update? Uh, I, I, not there at the time. Fortunately, there okay. must have someone at the computer that could help click that stupid window off. Good. But. This was uh, this was in Des Moines, but so my my weather fool a little bit goes to uh, Microsoft Windows 10 pop up update. Pop up lady. Nice. All right, not not Mark, the meteorologist because no, she no 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 well. she did a good job getting through it. It was yeah. having stuff like that happen in the past. I watch and I'm like, yeah, she did a good job <laughs> handling that. All right, well, uh, Mark, your time. Uh, what? Who was your weather fool of the week? Well, I uh, <clears throat> last week, this past week, I just got back yesterday. Uh, from Denver, a week in Denver at a couple of conferences. And on uh, Tuesday, we had a severe thunderstorm warning go right over downtown, you know, metro Denver. And it uh, it rained and hailed like you couldn't believe. Um, there we had piles of hail and, and uh, the streets that we could see from our hotel um, had a lot of running water in them across the whole street and people were, you know, driving through it and it was splashing up onto the sidewalks and everything. I saw Coors Field too. It was littered yeah. with uh, hail that yeah. same day, yep. that same it, night. Yeah. Exactly what happened. 
Um, but so I watched, you know, I was curious. I watched the news then that, that evening, uh, and they, uh, they did an interview with a viewer, um, you know, a live on the spot downtown, you know, kind of interview. And uh, this particular guy that they were interviewing, he was saying, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the road was just covered with, it was deep, deep with water, he said. But I had my four-wheel drive, so I was just fine. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. yeah, that helps in water. <laughs> so, I wish Todd were here. He would not be happy with that. No, he would not. He would and not I, I'll see if I can find a clip drive. from it because it was, it was funnier the way he said it. But I, right away I went, oh, yeah, four-wheel drive, that'll help. All right, cool. Well, we'll have uh, all of the Weather Fools, um, except for mine because mine wasn't a video, but we'll have uh, those videos posted on uh, our website. And now over to Phil with our new segment called uh, Weather Resources. All right, yeah. So, so we're uh, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit, and, and uh, we've we've got a uh, what we're going to call Weather Resources. We'll have to come up with a better stinking name than that. That sounds that like a good, a good uh, question for the viewers. What should we call it? That's good. Yeah, there that's you go. True. I, grandma, I if you're like listening, that. help us out. They should, they out. should win a prize. <laughs> the grandma, yeah, for pride. one of the five <laughs> listeners we have. I'll have to help her uh, turn on her computer, though. That'll be the first step. To- <laughs> All right, so so basically the whole idea of the new segment um, is to really help our listeners kind of become aware of some great weather resources that might be out there. This could be websites, could be smartphone apps, books, podcasts like our own, whatever, but... Uh, I think this is something that we've, we're always trying to gear our podcast towards also helping uh, and focusing on, you know, amateur weather geeks and fans like a lot of us and, and uh, letting them know, hey, here's some great resources we've discovered you might like as well. So I'll start, I'll start with mine. And, and this is one that I just, I've, I've always loved. I haven't used it nearly as much as I really would like to, but they definitely deserve my first uh, weather resource announcement. And uh, it's a website. Uh, called MetEd, M-E-T-E-D. I see MJ shaking his head, so he's aware of this. But uh, this is actually from the website, just to describe what it is. The MetEd website provides education and training resources to benefit the operational forecaster community, university atmospheric scientists and students, and anyone interested in learning more about meteorology, weather forecasting, and related geoscience topics. MetEd is populated and maintained by the Comet Program, which is part of the University Corporation for Atmospheric Research's Community Program. So you can find it at uh, meted.ucar.edu. That's the website. We'll we'll post this on our website as well so you can get it. But I'm telling you, I just probably a month or two ago, I just took some time to go through. This is all online. Now you're not going to graduate from them or, you know, I don't think you get any college credit for any of this stuff, <laughs> but it is great. Just educational stuff uh, on anything weather related. I mean, they've got an unbelievable library of stuff. I went through one and it's all you do it on your computer and it's PowerPoint and there's a speaker that you listen to them as they describe it and all this stuff. It was on uh, Doppler radar and how to read various different things of a Doppler radar um, I've seen spotter training. They've got spotter training programs and they've got stuff that I would have no clue what the hell they're talking about, uh, as far as detailed things on hurricanes and all that kind of stuff, but just an unbelievable resource. If you want to just take, you know, take some time out of your day or on a weekend to learn more about any particular weather topic you're interested in, they've got some outstanding uh, resources. Phil, it's cool. I just learned <laughs> on the site the difference between a tornado watch and a warning. 
<laughs> That's oh, true. Oh, thank goodness. Yes. I don't think I don't think awesome. they have a clock specifically for no. that but um but that, 20 years scary. on tv we're Finally. on air yeah that's 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 very scary <laughs> all right brady brady you got a weather resource as well what do you got yeah mine is weather bell so um this is not free but um it's basically a site where it's got a ton a ton of different models the gfs the euro the nam um, that updates super fast and the graphics are just absolutely beautiful. You actually, I've seen a lot of TV uh, meteorologists actually use those graphics and post them like on Twitter or Facebook. So the graphics are just gorgeous. And then in the, especially in the winter, they have access to all these different, um, you know, models that depict snowfall. So for, you know, those weather nerds that like to look at, you know, predict their own snowfall or check out storms. That's really where I learned to actually forecast for, winter storms that's you know a great site i believe it's like 25 dollars a month so it's not cheap it's definitely not cheap um and you know it definitely can be overused i know there's a lot of those social meteorologists that we talked about on a couple episodes ago that's where a lot of them get their uh, snowfall totals. so what's it called weather bell weather bell it's a it's... software computer software is an app Oh no, it's a website. Sorry. It's just website. a website. It's a subscription okay. service website that you can Is go it B, to. Like B E L L, like ring a bell. Yes. Yeah. Weather bell, one word. Um, I feel like going like an advertisement. <laughs> ring my bell. Don't make me get on my flute. I will get that out uh, right now. Yeah, you will. Uh, That's not quick. That for another episode. Isn't that called a recorder? All right, no, and and and, and by the way, if you if you didn't recorder. if you didn't get a chance to hear Brady's weather rap. It is at the end of episode three. Uh, oh, uh, go feel listen. Free to, and we might even post that on our website, the full thing. Do it. Let people yeah. download it for free. It's freeware. Some people have called me the little Wayne of my generation. Yeah, so, not me. You know, I didn't call you that. Oh, oh, oh. that I'm rising on right. top of the charts. Folks. So before this goes in the trash, we're going to close this up. Uh, that does it for uh, this episode of Stormfront Freaks podcast. We, we definitely thank you for listening. As always, if you like the show, uh, tell a friend. And give us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, the reviews are important to make sure that uh, people maybe outside of the real direct weather community are hearing about us and knowing about us. Uh, and if you didn't like our show, uh, tell us. Uh, send us an email, comment to us, but give us a review anyway. That's fine. We're, <laughs> we're all up and up on this. Uh, we want to also answer your questions or discuss comments on future shows. So send us your thoughts to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or on Twitter at Stormfront Freak. Special thanks to our guests, Ian Enterline and Todd Krause. Uh, but for MJ, Brady, and Maz, I'm going to signal the all clear, and we will catch you next time. Don't be a freak. We out, baby. Be a freak. <laughs> Information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.